And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 139 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, 139 seasons of Giants baseball. Tell me, who was your favorite player on the 1883 Gotham's? Oh, the eighteen eight were they the Gotham's or were they the high toppers back then? Or or did they play that were they the Superbas? Uh, did you know the, the Brooklyn Dodgers were known as the Robins for like three years? I did, yeah. I I love this old timey uh you know, the team names. You know, when you get back to eighteen eighty three though, what I found over the years is that they don't have like a ton of funny names. You know what I mean? Like you go and it's Buck Ewing, it's uh, Mickey Welch. They have Tip O'Neill, who I guess was Secretary of State a uh, hundred years later. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you don't have the, fu- you, to get the really funny names, you have to go to like the 1910s. That's where you get like the real good stuff. It's just, it's not there with the 1880s. Yeah, you get your Johnny Dick shots and your uh, uh, High Pockets Kellys. By the way, High Pockets Kelly, do, have we talked about this on the podcast, but High Pockets Kelly, George Kelly, Hall of Famer, You'll find him all all over the Giants record book because single game records were basically all set when they played at the Baker Bowl in Philadelphia because that <laughs> yes. place was like the band box of all band boxes. So people put up just crazy box score lines and High Pockets Kelly had half of them. Did you know that High Pockets Kelly is one of the original city council members in the fine Bay Area city of Millbrae, California? I think... You have told me that, but I don't think you've shared it with the listeners. I do. Yeah. I mean, it's a fantastic uh, little tidbit. I mean, that's what that is, right? A tidbit? Yeah, I, I think it is. And Millbury is weird because when it was built, like a bunch of ballplayers moved there. Like uh, Gus Sewer, who had the uh, consecutive game record for the National League for many years, uh, played for the Pirates. He owned a liquor store in downtown Millbury, basically at Victoria and El Camino Real. And uh, and he lived there. And uh, Tony Lazeri actually died there. Uh, he died of a, what they think was a epileptic seizure and fell down the stairs of his house. So sorry for that to take a sad turn. But there were a lot of ballplayers who, uh, who lived in Millbury at the time when it was first built. Joe DiMaggio used to always hang out in town. So yeah, fun little baseball history. Do you remember, because you're of the same vintage that I am, where you might have been a kid and you would have had the baseball address list. Do you remember that book where they would just sell a book with everyone's address in it? 
You know, I don't because I'm not a weird, creepy stalker, Grant. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there was this thing, and the idea is that you would send, you would have the home address for baseball players and coaches and managers, and you would would send autograph requests to them, and we would flip through this whole big honking book, and we would find, all right, who was in Burlingame? And there was only one guy in Burlingame, but he was right around the corner from us. It was Hank Sauer. So Hank Sauer is the Burlingame guy. Yeah, and and he had, like, on his uh, front porch, like, you know, the Sours and stuff like that. Uh, so we would just drive by on our bikes and, and just stare at it. And I mean, we wouldn't really do anything about it. We would just go, there's a former baseball player there, Hank Sauer. Wow. Wow. You know, um, it's funny. I, I only mailed away autograph cards once. And I think I didn't want to like, I didn't want the cards to be too good because you, you figure you might not get them back. So I was a Cubs fan as a kid, as you well know. So I remember I sent one out to Damon Berryhill. And he sent it back. And I have somewhere in my attic a Damon Berryhill autographed baseball card. One of the very few autographs I own. That is fantastic. I did it a couple of times and I did it with a Will Clark postcard. Okay, this is his rookie year. So this is 1986. I send a Will Clark postcard to Will Clark and he returns it. The problem is, is that whoever was working in the post office was a Dodgers fan. And I want to do an oral history on this because they postmarked it right on his face. And there's no way that was an accident. Someone had a really good laugh. They went home and they told their Dodgers fan family about it. The time that they postmarked Will Clark's face and it ruined the autograph postcard. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. funny. You know, players, I think, used to get more stuff sent to them and uh, uh, like tons of stuff and and would have like a stamp that they would use or clubhouse guys would sign for them. Bruce Bochy would always tell us that he would get tons of cards of Bruce Bakhti by mistake that people would (laughs) send to him. It's like, I'm not Bruce Bakhti. And in fact, one year he got a couple of royalty checks from Tops or whoever else that were meant for Bruce Bakhti. <laughs> and he got them. And I'm like, did you cash him? And he did not answer the question, by the way. I to, he, <laughs> no, I mean, that's he, found money. Declined to answer. That's $7.80 is burning a hole in your pocket. All right. Well, before we move on, just because I have the page of 1909 Giants, that's the sweet spot I'm talking. We have an Admiral. We have a Moose. We have one, two, three Reds. We have uh, Hooks, a Bugs. I mean, that's the funny name. You have uh, an actual Bull Durham. I didn't know this, but there was a Bull Durham on the 1909 Giants. So go back to the 1900s, 1910s for the real funny names. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, you know, I think we need to bring nicknames back. I mean, you know, we have a new pitcher. His name is Sam Long, and he decides, I want to be called Sammy. And that's about as much personality as we have these days. So, you know, we we need, yeah, we need to... uh, we need to bring some of those nicknames back, I think. That is a segue because we were avoiding talking about the Giants. And I looked this up. Okay, so the Giants, the games before we record a podcast, I actually did the research on it. They're 12 and 8. Okay, that's a 600 winning percentage. That's roughly what they're doing this season. So it's not as if we're jinxing it, but they have lost four out of the last five games right before our podcast. So now we come on and the Giants are still doing well. They're still doing good baseball things. But the last four to the last five times we've talked talk to each other it's kind of like uh, I guess we gotta guess we gotta talk about the loss so instead of talking about Sammy Long we're talking about a bullpen do you want to just talk about Sammy Long and Brandon Crawford and ignore the bullpen or should we I don't know I'll, I'll leave that up to you I think we've got time unless we want to talk more about the the history of Milbury and Burlingame California we, we've got plenty of time to, to delve, delve into all that but I loved something that you wrote the other day which was about the Giants victory in their first game at Texas and it was about Mike Talkman and you made just a great point 
which is Mike Talkman has been terrible at the plate, and he hasn't really done anything between his game-saving catch of Albert Pujols' home run at Dodger Stadium and the grand slam that he hit uh, to basically win a game at Texas. And the reason we didn't have to talk about his struggles is because they were winning, and that just helps people who are underperforming kind of fly underneath the radar until they actually start to turn it around and do something good. And that's that was such a subtle point, but it's so true that when a team is struggling, the individual players who are struggling, the pressure on them is just ratcheted up and up and up. And you're talking about them, you're noticing them, you're wondering what's wrong with them, if they're going to lose their roster spot. And the Giants have just not been in that situation basically all year. And, um, you know, we'll talk about their bullpen. They had a road series. They won one of two. They had essentially a bullpen game and they lost it, which, you know, you probably don't win a lot of bullpen games anyway. And, you know, it seems like people are sort of beating the the war drums. And, you know, it's, it's actually a pretty good road series overall. I've been meaning to write that column in, in one variation or another for a couple of weeks because it just it dawned on me. Like, I'm not talking about Donovan Solano. I'm not mentioning him. I'm not coming on here and saying, what what do the Giants do about Donovan Solano? It's just it doesn't come up because there's so much else to talk about. It's like, wow, Brandon Crawford is, you know, hitting like vintage Cal Ripken and Buster Posey's hitting like vintage Buster Posey. I mean, you focus on that sort of stuff. And when it comes to a guy like Mike Talkman, you're only noticing him when he's doing something amazing, hitting a grand slam slam, robbing a a game-winning home run away from the Dodgers. It's the benefit of just having everyone, you know, rising tide and lifts all boats kind of thing. It doesn't work for the bullpen. We've seen that. I mentioned that in my piece after the Giants won. It's like, listen, this doesn't apply to the bullpen. When the bullpens blow it, you notice and you start complaining. But everyone else, whether it's rotation, starting uh, lineup, the bench, it's just, look, if they're winning, you're noticing the players who are helping them win. That's about it. And I think you're right that the bullpen kind of is in its own category because when the bullpen blows it, it's, you know, there's definitely more of a sort of mental impact. There's more of a letdown. But you know what? Someone in the front office made this point to me the other day. They said as as much as people are complaining about the bullpen, the bullpen's actually pitched better over the course of the year, for one. And for another thing, the Giants have the record that they have, and they have several games where they've blown a lead. Do the math on how many games they've had a lead in. I mean, if they just keep doing that uh, and they keep getting a lead in like 80% of their games, it's all going to turn out okay, people. <laughs> so, and yeah, you know, you, you don't want to go into the playoffs and feel like you have a bullpen you can't trust and they've got time to f- fix that and, you know, identify personnel and make some, make some moves. But the whole notion of they need to go out and get people right now to fix this bullpen, I think is probably a little, a little mouth breathery to me. It was last year when the bullpen was was just abysmal in the first month of the season, and it was really good in the second month of the season, and everyone sort of forgot about that because, A, it was so bad in the first month of the season, and B, how the season ended where the bullpen blew a memorable save against the Padres. But in that month, there was a sweet spot where the Giants were good at getting outs uh, from relievers, and they have been better. And one of the points from the blown save and the loss against the Rangers that's worth bringing up is that there were a lot of new guys that pitch yesterday. There was Sammy Long. There was Connor Menez. There was Zach Littell. There was Dominic Leone. It was 
a new fresh group compared to the the bunch that blew the opening day loss against the Mariners. So the Giants are cycling through these guys. When it comes to the 40-man roster, they have to be careful. They can't just say, okay, that's enough for you, pal, and, you know, eject them off of the roster. They really want to get a good look at this, at these guys. And, you know, you see Matt Whistler. Okay, he just wasn't going to work out. So now it's time for Dominic Leone. It's time for Sammy Long. They're trying. They're cycling. And they still have a good month and a half to figure this out before the deadline. And, you know, in a normal game, maybe they have Johnny Cueto throw the first five plus six innings, whatever, or Alex Wood or Kevin Gossman, you know, and then they have those other guys that you mentioned, the Beard Gang and uh, and Sam Long, Sammy Long and everybody else. They have them available to potentially pitch in leveraged innings, and they obviously weren't set up for that uh, yesterday. So I do think that they have a number of options to try to develop people they can trust. The one criticism I think that is kind of warranted in terms of the bullpen, because the way that they lost... Wednesday's game. I mean, it was ridiculous. The extra runner in, in at second base obviously was is what scored in, in both those two extra innings. They basically, you know, it was it was ground balls and sacrifice flies. And uh, you know, the way that the tying run scored. I mean, Lamont Wade Jr. as you said was was basically in, in Fort Worth and and had to run in you know about 300 leagues to to try to catch the the hit that tied the game. That was basically a pop up. And had a, what, an 0.90, I think, expected batting average. So it was kind of a quirky one. It wasn't one of those where it was walk, leadoff walk, leadoff walk, three-run homer, you know. So sometimes that's just baseball, and those kinds of games happen. But I do think one criticism that could be warranted is after the game went to extra innings, Tyler Rogers started the 10th. And I don't think that Tyler Rogers is the ideal pitcher to start an extra inning with the runner at second base, just because he is... That's the time you want to be contact averse, and he is the most contact friendly reliever in the game. The contact is really, really crappy, but you know I think ideally they would have had someone else that they trusted that they could have had to pitch the tenth, and they wanted to stay away from Jake McGee. They finally had to use him, but they wanted to stay away from him, and they didn't really have anybody else they could put in there because they'd used relievers early and because they didn't have any other leverage guys. If Matt Whistler is working and he's fine and he's good and he's still on the team. He's probably the guy who pitches that that 10th inning. So the fact that they don't have enough people that they trust right now is probably made them put Rodgers on the mound of the 10th, and that was not the ideal position for him. That would be my one criticism. And you can levy that criticism about the whole Giants bullpen, really, with a, a couple of exceptions. I mean, you've got the entire league is striking batters out about a batter inning, 9.2, but that includes starters. When it comes to relievers, relievers are striking out close to, you know, nine and a half, maybe even 10 uh, batters per nine innings pitched. And the Giants just don't have those pitchers. They, you know, Connor Menez is doing great things, but it's a small sample. Obviously, we saw what Sammy Long did. Uh, but other than that, it's a bullpen that can allow contact, whether it's uh, Caleb Berger, Jose Alvarez, Zach Littell, you know, Sam Selman, like whoever you're throwing out there this season, maybe not you can expect better strikeout numbers from them going forward. It's just not a strikeout bullpen. And so when you get into extra innings and you have an extra runner, other teams can score a run by not making or by not getting a hit. You know, you saw that against Rogers in the 10th. It was out, out run. And that's just how it's going to be in extra innings. And so the Giants are missing that big, big strikeout arm. Maybe that's Sammy Long. It could be, you know, and, and, and maybe that's what happens. You know, they, they definitely think he's got three pitches and can start. You never want to limit somebody's innings when they show that they can, you know, have a, a bigger role on the team. But, you know, I mean, sometimes you just see the stuff and it, you, you realize it's all about if his arm can bounce back. We don't know that. We don't know if he can pitch, you know, uh, three days out of five. And, and a closer kind of needs to be able to do that. So that may be a hard thing to try to convert 
someone who is used to throwing multiple innings into a short reliever just because of, of that one critical component is the ability to, to bounce back. I mean, I'm still amazed that like Felipe Alou and the Giants did it with Dustin Hermanson in the middle of a season. It's like, you're a starter. Nope, you're a closer. You don't see that in the middle of a year, and, and, and that, that's kind of why. So, But yeah, there, there may be some some way to transition. I mean, you look at what the, how the Dodgers won the World Series last year. They did it with Julio Urias, you know, closing the game out over multiple innings. So maybe we have a return to that uh, sort of um, Raleigh Fingers, you know, three-inning save kind of a thing. And that, that, that could be possible. So who knows? But I, I think that they will be kind of open-minded as they look to deploy their pitching. And they I think they realize that they have enough options right now. And we could see some more soon. We could see Matt Frisbee in the big leagues. Uh, he's a triple-A. You know, and if, if we see Sammy Long now, we could see Matt Frisbee, you know, maybe within weeks. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is a good point because I've been looking at it in kind of a binary way where I'm looking at the rotation. You got Gossman, you got uh, Desclafani, Wood, uh, Logan Webb when he's healthy, Johnny Cueto, Aaron Sanchez. Looks like he he might return at some point. The Giants have six starters and you figure that at one point they'll have five because there'll be someone on the I.L. or still on the I.L. or going on the I.L. They'll, they'll mix and match with those six. Is Sammy Long going to benefit the Giants in that rotation or just as a one inning reliever? But there's kind of that third option where maybe you bring him along and have him be that Josh Hader, that Andrew Miller. You know, when you see these guys come out for two innings, maybe even three innings in the postseason and you go, gosh, not this guy again. Teams have had a lot of success with that. And and, uh, Urias was that guy for the Dodgers last year. Maybe that's the Giants plan with Sammy Long. Yeah, it really could be. I mean, we know that there's a lot uh, of ways that those two organizations uh, sort of think along parallel tracks. So, yeah, I I think that that is definitely something that they'll at minimum talk about. It's the same thing that we watched in uh, the Cactus League where Sammy Long's out there and you're looking for you've got this this brain that that's telling you, okay, 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 you know, don't get too excited. This is just the, you know, this is just the Cactus League, just spring training whatever. You'll be impressed by this guy, that guy. And you're watching him looking for a flaw and you're just watching how he approaches batters, how he's getting them out. And it's like, okay, well, the fastball, yep, yep, that'll play. That'll play. Okay. The location. Yeah. It seems like he's, he's uh, hitting his spots fairly well. The curveball, Okay. Like you, like you tweeted, you know, drops out of the sky and you're looking for flaw. And in the spring, I couldn't find one. I was like, okay, yeah, but you know, he just needs experience. Well, now he's back up and he's got major league experience and it's four innings worth. And it's still, I, I can't find a flaw in his repertoire. When I first saw him pitch, I'm thinking, okay, this isn't super unconventional. I mean, it's not like he's got a massively deceptive delivery. The fastball's got good carry. You know, the breaking ball, definitely he can shape it and throw it out of the strike zone when he wants to, to, to get people to chase. 
So yeah, this stuff is really good, but I was kind of expecting there to be some herky-jerky weirdness, you know, some real deceptiveness to him. And honestly, it's just his his stuff has has enough leap movement and he's locating. He, he just located so well. And uh, that tells you that if he can continue to do that, you know, that's not something that hitters just need to see a couple times and they'll adjust to it. I mean, you know, you got to execute. It's not like he's he's throwing stuff that's unhittable. This is a guy who's just executing and has pitches that, that work. And that's that's pretty sustainable. I'm a sucker for the center field camera, good center field camera. And the Rangers have a tremendous center field camera. And it was perfect for Sammy Long because the curveball, you saw it. It's a 12 to 6 curveball. And you hear that term and you know what it means, 12 to 6 on the clock. But when you see it from directly behind and you see the movement of that curveball in relation to his fastball, and you're thinking now about pitch tunneling and, and where that batter has to make a decision of this is fastball, this is curveball, it really just highlighted how good that curveball was in relation to the fastball, which the hitter also has to worry about. It just broke so late, so close to the plate, and so straight down. It was, it's was. it got to be just a really tough at bat. You know, I love that center field camera too. And I thought Lamont Wade Jr. was doing an excellent job operating that center field camera all game. It's just too bad that he had to run all the way from there <laughs> to try to catch that ball in the ninth inning. Oh, doubles defense. It is, uh, it's great when it works. It's great when it works, but that is just a big outfield. I mean, for uh, the, the Globe Life Park outfield, it's like Coors Field, but you don't have the carry. It's just such a big park. I, I'm blown away by how big that park is. You know what blows me away is the place where the Giants won the World Series is not used for baseball anymore. When I think about it in those terms, I'm like, oh yeah, Tim Lincecum being held up on people's shoulders and Renteria's home run and you know, the booth where Dave Fleming uh, uh, encountered puberty for the first time uh, while making that home run call. <laughs> that booth is not being used. Oh, it's not being used anymore. I mean, that ballpark is a disused ballpark, and that's just crazy to think about. It is. And, and because, you know, uh, you grew up with Wrigley. I grew up with Candlestick and just begging for anything, anything that's not this. And then you get it and it's perfect. And, you know, that's going to last for 100 years and uh, assuming that the world's still here. So, like, that's how we look at ballparks. But I guess, you know, when, when you live in a humid climate, a hot climate, you want climate-controlled ballparks and have no idea why the ballpark at Arlington wasn't climate-controlled from the beginning. But the more I talk to people, the more it's like, no, this just wasn't sustainable. It just wasn't a good time to go out to the ballpark and watch baseball in the that weather. They would start the games at, like, 7.45 and... I mean, they, they were starting the games almost close to 8 o'clock and uh, for just <laughs> trying to get some temperature relief. But yeah, you know, the planet's getting warmer. I, I heard that somewhere. So probably a good idea to to have a nice air-conditioned, coal-fired uh, air-conditioned uh, um, ballpark for people to blithely watch the world burn. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's not always going to be getting warmer. You know, it's climate change because uh, you get rid of that jet stream to England and all of a sudden it's, it's Alaska. Uh, you know, so there are going to be different places that are going to get colder and uh, there might be locusts involved. You know, like at Texas right now, they're worried <laughs> about heat. But if something happens, you know, a couple dominoes fall and it's just locusts. And uh, I don't know. So maybe we should all have climate change. Maybe put a dome on Oracle Park is what I'm saying. Yeah, I've got lots of white flies and thrips in my backyard that I never had before. So I, I, I'm blaming climate change for that one. Well, you know what? We brought up Candlestick, so I'm just going to segue as awkwardly as possible. You know who else went to a couple games at Candlestick? It would be Brandon Crawford. And so we would be remiss if we're not going to talk about how freaking cool it is that Brandon Crawford, who grew up going to Giants games, who was famously in the, the Chronicle picture, stay in San Francisco, just looking dour and sad as, as only a five-year-old kid can look. And 
he's the franchise leader in games played by a shortstop all time. New York, the New York Gothams, the Rutabagas, whatever they were called back then. Um, <laughs> it's him. And that is just the, I love that story. I can't get over it. It really is crazy to think about the randomness involved because this wasn't, hey, you know, if you're determined and you stick to it, you can accomplish what you want. No, you have to be drafted by the Giants. You know, he could have been drafted by the Twins. He was on the phone with the Twins when the Giants drafted him. And the Twins were like, we're going to take you in 10 picks. Will you sign? And he's like, uh, um, um, Brandon Crawford of the Giants. Oh, I'll call you back. <laughs> so <laughs> everything that had to happen, you know, for Brandon Crawford to not only become the giant shortstop, which he decided he was going to do when he was like six, which all of us do, right? But now he's the all-time leader at the position. The the one job that he wanted in his life he got, and now he's more synonymous with being the giant shortstop than than anyone ever. So is really, really cool. You know, not just the this accomplishment, but I've always thought it was so kind of just unique, some of the things that Brandon Crawford had accomplished in his career. The first guy in 40 years to have a seven-hit game. He matched the Giants' RBI record uh, that I think was held by Mays and and Cepeda, uh, an eight-RBI game. Almost had a nine-RBI game in in Cincinnati earlier this year. Came about 10 feet short of hitting a three-run homer. But yeah, all of these little things, all these little achievements that that he's managed to... uh, kind of put his name next to. And then, of course, you know, the Grand Slam in Pittsburgh, the double play in Kansas City. I mean, and he's playing probably his best baseball over a two-month stretch that he ever has in his career at age 34 when people kind of wrote him off two years ago. So it's really nice that that everyone can sort of celebrate him and celebrate this accomplishment. And it's got to feel so good for him to do it at a time when he's playing really well, you know? it's This is not, okay, let's applaud him out of, you know, courtesy, even though he's hitting, you know, 220. He's probably one of the top five players in the National League thus far. He has been one of the more consistently surprising players throughout his career. And what I mean by that is you can kind of take him for granted. He shows up, it's 2011, he plays 150 games every year, and now now we're here. You know, that's just what he does. You, you get used to him. But he comes up and he's a, what is he, a fifth round pick, fourth round pick. And he comes up through the minors and what's the rap on him? Well, he can field, but he'll never hit. He will never hit. And he's going through the different stops. He's going to double A and he's he's got a 294 on base percentage in Connecticut. He's going up uh, next year. He's back in double A. He's doing okay. But then they get him up to Fresno, 291 on base percentage in Fresno. He's 24. Like, you know what you have here. You know this is going to be Brian Bocock 2.0. This is just going to be a guy who's going to feel the ball and that's it he comes up in 2011 and that's what you get he's not hitting that much and then he just morphs into no he's a pretty good hitter for a shortstop and then it's like no he's just a pretty good hitter and now he's 34 and it's like wow i guess he's one of the better hitters in the national league he's just he's consistently reinventing himself and surpassing expectations it's remarkable i heard bruce bochy say so many times that they really believe that there was more in the bat. And uh, with a Brian Bocock, they knew. They knew this is a guy who was not going to hit. He was going to catch the ball, and that was it. And, you know, he wouldn't have been in the big leagues unless they entered a season with a 41-year-old shortstop and absolutely no backup plan. And when that shortstop, you know, needed a knee surgery in spring training, here's Brian Bocock in the big leagues. But with Crawford, I think they knew all along there was more in the bat. There There was more offensive potential there. And he's starting to really unlock it based on the work he's doing with the new hitting people and just the open-mindedness, you know, try things that are different. And meanwhile, his defensive metrics are back to where they were, you know, five or six years ago. His, his ultimate zone rating is the best by a shortstop in the major leagues. And, and you know, I know that uh, 
outs above average is probably a better overall indicator, but even there he's no slouch. So he's definitely improved his game all the way around. And uh, I don't think that the Giants expected that he was going to be someone who would you know, be one of the best offensive players in the league, but they definitely thought that he was going to be someone who could hold down a lineup spot. You wouldn't have to hit him eighth. I always thought maybe J.J. Hardy was kind of a comp for him a little bit. Hardy would have those years where he hit and years where he didn't. You couldn't quite figure it out. But Crawford certainly has wound up having a much better career. All right. Uh, Yeah, we will talk about where he, if he stays, if he goes, I'm sure he would like to stay. He knows the the Wi-Fi password and all that. But I'm just going to leave this here. 2019, 350 slugging percentage. 2020, 465 slugging percentage. 2021, 558 slugging percentage. So if you're doing the math, next year, 650. Year after that, 750. Year after that, 850. He's going to be setting records the next few years. And that's just math, people. That's the magic of compound interest. <laughs> no, it's it's really forcing the Giants to take a good, long, hard look at who, what they really want to do this offseason because we've always just been thinking, oh, it's Carlos Correa, it's uh, Javier Baez, it's Trevor Story, it's one of these guys. I mean, they, they have to. It just makes so much sense. They might not be in love with those guys. They might not be nine-figure in love with any of those guys. You know, they might be projecting a fall-off in two, three, four years that they don't want to deal with. And if they could draw a player up in a lab, it might be like a a two-year deal to someone who's producing at a high level in his mid-30s. And maybe that's Crawford. I don't know. It's too early to say, but it's worth thinking about. You make a great point, and I've been thinking about that as well. I mean, I don't think that they want to sign uh, a Trevor Story to an eight-year contract. Uh, They don't want to block anyone at any position. And I think that they're really confident that they can develop what they need, and they have people on the way. If Marco Luciano can stay at shortstop, I don't know. But they really like Will Wilson, too. I mean, they, they think that he's put in a lot of work and he's uh, sort of geared to, to really kind of turn a corner here. They gave up uh, or they took on, what, $12 million in, in dead money to, to acquire that guy. So I don't think they want to block players like that by signing a Trevor Story. Now, the one guy that, that I think could be interesting is Corey Seager, just because, you know, Farhan knows him from from LA. Uh, he's a guy who who has been a difference maker. He's also been hurt a lot, but he might be the one guy that they look, they, they just want to find out, okay, let's do some tire kicking here. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that ideally they're looking for, you know, a, a contract in the sort of the Tommy LaStella range, you know, maybe for a little more money, but um, someone who you could have for a couple years. And if it just was a disaster and it didn't work out, you can walk away from it without having to make a phone call to ownership. So that's kind of why I think that if Brendan Crawford keeps playing well, I think the stars will kind of align for, for him to come back. The other big component is that he's going to be listening to other teams. And who knows, maybe the Yankees are calling and he wants to go play with his brother-in-law and, and looks at that short porch and, and thinks, okay, this is the, the universe getting even with me for playing in, in San Francisco all these years. But I, I, I don't know. I just, I I don't want to put words in his in his mouth or, or, or speak for him. But this is a guy who just appreciates being where he is. And uh, I really feel that even though he's not going to want to put himself in a position where he's going to have no leverage in talks, I, I think if the Giants treat him fairly and, and they want him back, I think he'll be back. All right. Well, this has been episode 139 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we will be back uh, on Monday and we'll talk about what in the heck they did against the Nationals. Thanks so much for listening.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.